All right, everybody. Uh, I have, thank you for tuning in. I have Marty Kendall. I hope I pronounced your name right. That's fantastic, mate. <laughs> awesome. Cool. So I have Marty Kendall on who has a great website called uh, not nutrientoptimizer.com, optimizingnutrition.com. And he, Indeed, yeah. Or, or both, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we had some interactions lately because uh, we talk about similar things here and there, like satiety and how you can control your nutrition without necessarily counting everything. So could you just uh, tell the listeners, Marty, what inspired you to start this website and what is the main focus of your uh, writing here? Yeah, uh, I suppose about four years ago, I started just trying to understand uh, being married to a type 1 diabetic. My wife, Monica, has had type 1 diabetes for 30 years, so through pregnancies and just trying to understand how to manage her diabetes like yourself I delved into the low carb world and trying to understand insulin and, and how to manage that and uh, started to quantify that with the insulin index and then started to dig a little bit in, further into that and realized that everything that minimized and, 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 and stabilized blood sugars was very high fat and poor nutrient density so I dived into nutrient density and then I suppose then with that is, is satiety and how you manage satiety to sort of create an overall systematized approach to nutrition. Being a, a civil engineer by day, um, I just you know in, enchanted by the idea of trying to, to to devise a system that says, hey, this person in this situation should try and focus on these foods and prioritize that versus somebody else who's in a totally different situation might want to prioritize different foods. So that's been sort of my quest over the last four years and just sharing and blogging. And uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a really fascinating journey. Met a lot of amazing people and learned a lot of things. And it's yeah, great to be able to chat to you today. Awesome. Yeah, uh, that, that's fascinating. So yeah, we can uh, get into some of the things that you just mentioned. So uh, first of all, how did the how did this journey influence your your wife's story with uh, diabetes? Uh, how did how did that go? Yeah, really well, actually, like she's gone from about 60 units a day and then starting the low carb journey and, um, you know, dropped to about 30 units a day of insulin and then trying to dial that down. And she's on about 20 units a day. But then the whole life improvement has been massive to be able to control her blood sugars and uh yeah had phenomenal improvements in that in her whole quality of life and her energy that she's able to bring to uh life as a as a wife and as a mother and as a parent and as a getting back into teaching and she's really thriving and loving that so it's just it's like wow if if such a you know if if these changes in nutrition can have such a fundamental impact on somebody's quality of life and she didn't know these things for 20 years it sort of made me angry to a point that you go well uh, you know this information should be out there and available in the hands of people that they can use it and dial it in but um yeah the, that low carb diabetes approach is not necessarily for everybody which has you know been part of my learning and part of my journey as well that that's amazing yeah i mean i think Ultimately, what gets into writing or make, making videos about this whole topic is always some personal struggle, uh, which we have to overcome. So it's amazing that you had such a powerful moment that changed everything, sort of, yeah. Um, and, and, and as far as I saw, you yourself had a pretty significant uh, weight loss uh, transformation as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I've, um, I suppose it's been a, a journey through myself through obesity from I was up to 112 kilos and delving into keto wow. and trying to get my ketones up and I, you know recently at the 
um, lowest point with my nutrient optimizer challenge earlier in the year. I got down to 85. And uh, as I was saying before we got on, that was probably a bit low. And over the last couple of months, I've been trying to bulk back up and, and gain more muscle than fat. And then like yourself, I'm about to jump in to go, hey, how do I, uh, how do I uh, drop some fat while retaining that muscle without tracking every morsel? Because, yeah, not everybody is able to track everything forever and you know it's been a quest to say hey how can we how can we dial in our nutrition to to not overeat because obviously it wasn't from a paleo point of view we obviously didn't overeat in the past and what has changed and how do we basically reverse engineer that has been the, the, the quest right so so initially that helped you to lose a lot of a lot of weight uh, what what kind of diets did you try in the past like uh, i'm sure you've had some trial and errors uh, which worked better or worked worse like like for for everybody for myself as well yeah, yeah i suppose a lot of a lot of us have been listening to your journey um on that low carb bent and and seeing how how much it improved my wife's diabetes control i thought hey this must be the holy grail for everybody and jumped on that and then the whole keto thing came out about four years ago and everybody's trying to get the ketones up and and you read hey just eat the butter and peanut butter and cream and it's like oh this is really yummy i'm gonna keep trying to get my ketones higher and higher and then all of a sudden you look in the mirror and go wow this is not working for me yeah. <laughs> there must be something wrong and uh yeah and then i suppose before that um I, I was really fascinated by rob wolf and paleo and so i come from that sort of headspace as well um and then Matt Lalonde, I don't know whether you came across him, um, made of Rob Wolf's, um, was all into the, the nutrient density. So I suppose it's been a, a journey to, to smash all those things together with a bit of a multi-criteria analysis sort of approach to say, well, what, what, how do we dial it in and optimize it for different goals? Right. Yeah. So... Yeah, so let's talk about this a little bit. So, or not just a little bit, actually. Let's let's talk about this. So, um, I guess there are two concepts that we're juggling here. So there is satiety, and then there is nutrient density. So let's talk a bit about each of those, and then let's try to to connect them. So, uh, how would you define satiety of of foods when when you're looking at at this uh, question? Like, how would you explain to someone satiety? Yeah, I suppose satiety is um, a food that will make you feel full and uh, in, in the shorter term and over the longer term, a satiating food is going to be one that you're not going to be hungry for a while. So yeah, something that'll fill you up and, and make you not think about food for longer. So if you're trying to diet and, and lean out, then uh, it's, it's more ideal for that sort of a goal. Yeah, so um, so so it's interesting. There is satiety for once, right? Like, what is it that's gonna make you fall acutely? And then there is also the satiation. Like, how long is the food gonna keep you full? So, so what are the factors in your research? I mean, obviously, I talked about this a lot, but I'm curious your findings. Like, what 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 things that you what are the things that you found to be the determinant factors of satiety uh, for the most part? Yeah, it's been fascinating to listen to your course and on on uh, intuitive eating and uh, listen to you talk about the different foods that work for you. And I go, yeah, they're, they're really uh, similar sort of learnings that I've had. And I suppose being an engineer, I'm always wanting to quantify things maybe too much, but once you've quantified it, you can sort of dial it back in. But um, initially we, we were playing with energy density, which is a big deal. And, and there was the, um, uh, there's been a number of, investigations where people find that foods that have a lower energy density tend to be more satiating and fill you up um, but at the same time they might might, might not 
maintain that satiation for a very long time like your your veggies and your your uh you know you talk about the carrots and the cucumbers and they'll fill you up physically but they may not make you stay full for a longer time so um and generally nutrient dense foods tend to be more satiating but uh we we recently about about a year ago um my nutrient optimizer partner alex stumbled across this database of half a million days of my fitness pal data from i think it was ten thousand people that have been tracking um, their food for more than two months so we downloaded that and started diving into it to try and sort of quantify the different factors that influence satiety so out of the my fitness pal data you've got protein energy density fiber um, fat sugar starch and sodium so um Interestingly, getting enough sodium tends to be satiating. So if, if you've got too little sodium, your your body sort of craves more um, sodium and, and there's sort of a definite a, a sodium hunger there. And I think to an extent, there's sort of a, a nutrient leverage hypothesis where people crave more nutrients and uh, that they'll go out of the way until they get those nutrients they need. But, but from a macronutrient point of view, Protein is definitely a major factor that everybody sort of talks about. Fiber is definitely a, a factor that uh, you have more fiber. Um, foods tend to be more satiating. And then where it gets a little bit confusing is is the previous data looked at saying, well, is it is it carbs, is it fat that's more satiating one versus the other? And people think of it as sort of a linear relationship where you know, you need to be low carb or high carb or low fat or, or high fat or whatever it is. But it seems to be the combination of carbs and fat or non-fiber carbs and fat, particularly starch and fat together that drive um, appetite and hunger that is sort of like a, from a seasonal point of view, think, you know, foods that are available in autumn that trigger the body to think winter is coming and you need more um, energy, more fat to survive the coming winter. So it's sort of a, from an evolutionary instinctual paleo perspective, there seems to be something going on there that triggers your body to go, hey, you need more energy to survive the coming winter. Um, but if you can reverse engineer that to be either, um, you know, very, on one end, um, very low fat foods are very, very hard to overeat. And on the other end, lower carbohydrate diets are, harder to overconsume, maybe between 20 and 30% carbs. But once you go very, very low carb, people tend to go very high fat and that fat to satiety is not really a thing. It's, um, you know, once you separate protein and fat, um, that refined fat that, you know, bulletproof coffee or just chugging MCT oil from a, on a calorie for calorie basis is not satiating. So, um, yeah, we, we developed a, a quantitative relationship between all those factors with protein, fiber, starch, energy density, and fat. Um, so then we can quantify for each different food how satiating that is likely to be. And so you can rank that to say, you know, which foods are going to be more satiating than another. It's not necessarily only the high-protein foods. It might be a high uh, a low energy density food or, or a very low-fat food, but there's all these different factors interact, and it's, it can be a little bit... Um, complex, but that's why it's handy to be able to quantify those things. I'm pretty excited that you've to develop that satiety index that really aligns nicely back with previous work that was done by Susanna Holtz in 1995 at the University of Sydney, where they, um, I'm sure you're aware of the study, where they um, 
they, they did the laboratory testing on satiety and found very similar things, but that was only with 38 data points and this is with half a million data points that we can really dig into that and refine that understanding. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, you know, a lot of lot of cool points of discussion here. But first, let's let's start with that satiety index because one thing I find interesting on that one is there are some foods that just don't make as much sense to me why they score so well on that list. And I think in some instances it just has to do with the difference between a laboratory setting and real life setting. So, for example, why potatoes were the most satiating food on that list, and I think that it is because when you give that to someone in a lab, lab setting, then it is only so much of that potato you're going to eat in one sitting without anything else to accompany it, because it just like it just gets bland and just so unsatisfying after a certain point. Like it just makes you suffocate, sort of, and you just want to stop eating it. But in in a, in a mixed dish, for example, I mean, if you have uh, a nice steak, for example, with veggies or a big salad, that is going to be a lot more satiating, acutely at least, than if you were to eat it with potatoes, especially if you put some salt and ketchup on those potatoes or something, or they are nicely grilled and like even microwaved. So uh, like, where do you, I mean, obviously palatability has to factor into all of this as, as well, right? Yeah, yeah, you've definitely got a, a factor of sensory specific satiety where if you've got one bland food, you you know, that's all you've got to eat, then your body goes, no, it's, uh, you know, I'm done with that. I, I need another flavor. And I think your body in some ways pursues on the nutrients that are, that are dictated and um, indicated by the flavors of the food. But at the same time, it was interesting, the, the potato, the white potato was cooked and cooled. So from a... Uh, resistant starch point of view you've probably got a higher resistant starch so you've got more fiber and if they're cold potatoes and they're very low fat so uh, i think starch by itself with with low fat like think of trying to eat even a i think to give mentioned like trying to chug a whole pile of sugar or if you just eat a whole pile of rice or or just those really high carb very low fat foods are very hard to overeat we don't eat um very, very low carbohydrate, uh, high carbohydrate, low fat foods by themselves. We tend to mix them together. And if you take that potato, bake it in oil, throw some salt on it, and it, you, you can't stop. And it's basically a potato chip. And that, that combination of fat and carbs together is your ultimate hyper palatable combination of, of when you combine the fat and starch together in a way that just doesn't occur in nature because we get starchy foods in, in like summer and late or early autumn and then the the fat foods are things we result we resort to in winter when we can't get the carbohydrates so we don't in nature get those starches and fats together yeah okay so uh since you already mentioned it let's talk a bit about carbs and fat so i remember this chart from your website that shows the kind of the points at which uh, higher satiety starts to kick in with high, like really high carb and low fat diets and how it's just tough to overeat really high carb diets without a lot of fat to accompany it so it's sort of it's almost like a choose your own adventure type of story like you can go the high fat route but then you have to cut out carbs a little bit more or vice versa in your personal experience and also just from the research that you've done which one did you find to be more satiating uh, for people is it the more higher fat lower carb route or the other one where you eat a lot of carbs and not so much fat oh i think the answer is going to be that the very very low fat like if you're thinking well i'm just going to eat broccoli and 
uh, white rice and plain potatoes, you're not going to get through many calories by doing that just because the energy density is so incredibly low and the palatability is so very low as well. Um, Yeah, but I think in, in nature we tend to oscillate between the extremes of, of, of that low fat and the low carb. Um, yeah, so I, technically I think the data indicates that a very, very low fat approach is going to be more satiating, And but whether that's the most nutrient dense and whether you get adequate protein and if you're a bodybuilder, whether you're going to get enough to, uh, to recover and, and, and rebuild your muscles, it may not be ideal at that point so i suppose that's whether ultimately it leads you to if you're trying to cut aggressively then you need to get enough protein without the energy from the fat and carbs is is where that leads you in the long term yeah in, in my experience i think that the high fat lower carb diets can be really good for like long-term maintenance sort of thing or or it, it's more conducive to a lifestyle i think because you can even you can even go out and have some high fat lower carb meals you can order some different side dish in a restaurant but lower fat diets are really hard to maintain for long for the long term but for short-term aggressive cutting uh low fat i think for many people is is very successful it's not really maintainable in the long term or it is maintainable of course but it just requires a lot of lifestyle tweaking and and also if you want to maintain like a really low body fat percentage in the long term then it's also i think easier to accomplish with a higher carb lower fat approach simply because of the volume of food which gives you that acute satiety at all times and yeah when you're going the high fat route it's i think it is is doable but you're always sort of walking a tightrope simply because the foods you're eating are so energy dense. And I, I guess that's also where a lot of people run into problems with uh, keto approaches. Uh, yeah, would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I suppose on, on a high carb, low fat approach, there's plenty of skinny vegans out there that you know successfully lose a lot of weight. But whether their body composition is what the people listening to this podcast generally want um maybe it is but you definitely can lose weight on a very disciplined um you know plant only low fat diet um yeah uh as as a family we tend to go for that lower carb type approach with money being a, a diabetic um and i suppose i try to prioritize protein where i can with nutrient density thrown in just because i know that you know that fat is very easy to overeat and i'm still on my my weight loss body recomp journey similar to what you are yeah so so let's talk for a second about this uh, concept of eating carbs and fast together because this is something that it's interesting because this is one of those concepts that made a comeback over recent times because traditionally it was a very much bro sciencey thing thing to say that don't eat carbs and fast together and now of course that myth was dispelled that well as long as calories are controlled it's not an issue if you eat carbs and fast together but now just with many things it just like in the case of clean eating yes you don't need to eat clean to lose fat or to maintain a lower body fat percentage but practically it makes sense because if you're eating really clean quote-unquote nutritious foods then it is just hard to get in a ton of calories and the same applies for fats and carbs it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to store more fat uh, on a per calorie basis if you're mixing them but in a practical sense it is just a lot easier to overeat them when you're mixing them right so yeah, uh, yeah, this is sure. this was another big focus of yours yeah yeah well, i did a post um don't eat for winter which was inspired by uh Sian foley from ireland uh, he's been into this whole seasonal eating aspect but um 
I did an analysis of foods that have what greater than 30% carbs, greater than 30% fat, and less than 20% protein. And there's no natural foods in that other than acorns and breast milk, which are both sort of in nature designed to fatten people up. Everything else is Oreos and chips and chocolate and milk chocolate. And basically it's the formula for junk food. So yeah, sure, you can lose weight if you're able to, on a Twinkie diet or a junk food diet and if it fits your macros, if you if you can maintain that, but the amount of discipline you're going to need to maintain a calorie deficit when your um, fat and carb as a percentage is similar with a lower protein, it's just going to be incredibly difficult and you're going to be you're going to have to weigh and measure everything you eat if you're going to maintain that calorie deficit. So if you want to not be doing your head in all the time, trying to restrict and just be completely consumed with food. Um, you need to find a way that's going to help you sustain that calorie deficit without a whole lot of mental energy constantly. I, I, you know, my experience is you just can't continue that calorie deficit long term if if the food you're eating signals that you need to, you know you need to eat more and there's something in those about those foods that just say it, it, it's time to eat more. Um, but when you can avoid that danger zone, you, it's so much easier to maintain a, a normal eating pattern. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, the eating for winter thing, this is, this is one thing that we always mention that our brains are sort of still stuck in like cavemen times when food was really scarce and people are almost yeah, and people are almost like scoff at that, like, yeah, sure, it's one of those cliches that people tend to rehash, but it is a really underrated concept. Like, just lately, I've been watching clips from this series, Planet Earth, from uh, B the BBC documentary, and it's absolutely fascinating. By the way, if anybody has haven't seen that, check that scene when the snakes when the snakes are chasing the iguana is the most fascinating scene you've ever seen. It is just incredible. I watched it like 20 times in the past few days. Yeah, but... Um, yeah, so there you see animals that like polar bear for polar polar bears, for example, that literally don't eat for a couple of months, and then they see a seal, and then it's okay. Either I get this seal right now, or no food for another three weeks. Like, and that's that's the environment that we came from. So our brains are really wired to seek foods that are getting us the most amount of calories in the least amount of time and with the least effort. So it is really. Um, totally makes sense that really carb and fat rich foods that were really hard to find in nature are just so appealing to us like this is what uh, Stefan Guiennet's work is about in large part and and actually an interesting thing is uh, I, I talked about this I think one time that's uh, nut butters like peanut butter almond butter this is uh, one of the really common binge foods amongst people that are already into the healthy lifestyle that don't eat pizza and ice cream anymore and if you think about it, it makes total sense because it basically has everything that you would need on, on an island if you were to stuck there. It has protein. It has a lot of fat. It has some carbs. Like you could basically survive on that stuff for forever, basically. Yeah, it is really crazy. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for um, peanut butter and, and then you throw the cream in with it as well and it, or, or Greek full-fat Greek yogurt and it's like, oh, this is the bomb. I could eat this all day. <laughs> and you just, you know, where, where'd the jar of peanut butter go? And you have to like you've like you've said yourself you had have to find a way to restrict those foods in your life because you don't have an off switch for it and yeah i think you, you look at bears in nature and, and different animals that go into sort of a, a hibernation they 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 just respond to their their signals that 
nature says you need to get really fat now to survive and then spring comes around and you don't need that fat and what's available it's it's lean lean fish and and lean things and there's no berries and there's not as much starch around so those bears lean out really quickly after winter and you know we're not hibernating bears but i think to some degree we're very much still connected to nature and those oscillations in not just the seasons but the 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 seasons that we put in our mouth that sort of indicate you know what what's coming up um really dictate our appetite and uh yeah and i think you look at what's been booming and going off in in our food system over the last 50 years you know we've basically in 1931 they uh um they got the Nobel Prize for learning how to, uh, to to create fertilizers from fossil fuels and that's just enabled us to double our food production over the last half a century and uh, we, we can make all this starch and vegetable oils that basically comprise most of our food calories these days. It's a massive amount of our calories are, are starches from grains, rice and corn along with um, oils from soy and corn that then we smash together and, and combine and put colorings and flavorings and make it look and taste nutrient dense but it's just this amazing hyper palatable i call it supra autumnal food that says hey it's time to binge now because winter's coming and uh yeah it's it's i think it's that sort of concept is central to the obesity epidemic that we've We've been able to manufacture these hyperpalatable foods that are cheap, and we love eating them, but uh, they're not good for our health. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's interesting with the nutrient density because um, this is something that I've seen some people go back and forth on. Like some people say that it's uh, it's not really how it's working, but I think there can be a practical or a compelling argument to be made for this that perhaps our bodies have some sort of a sensory mechanism that is looking for nutrients in foods and it sort of has an incentive, like sort of a, a nutrient leverage theory, you could call it. Like basically we have an incentive to consume foods until we got a sufficient amount of certain nutrients. Uh, are you thinking along those lines or how do you think about nutrient density? Yeah, I mean, you, you look at the 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 new, uh, the protein leverage hypothesis and there seems to be a fairly strong relationship that humans eat until they get enough protein um, and it's hard to eat really high protein foods beyond that where our body sort of switches off and says well i can't convert that protein to energy very easily i have to go through you know 25 percent um thermic effect of food losses can you give me some you know fat or carbs thanks and I've, I've had enough protein and if you're just going to feed me protein i don't want any more i think like i mentioned before we saw a similar sort of thing with the salt in the my fitness pal once we get about four or five grams of salt per day or per, or per two thousand calories the body says i've had enough um and, and you get a, a decrease in appetite and satiety improves and i think to some degree, you're going to get that across the full spectrum of micronutrients, and we don't really have enough data to to indicate that. But um, you know, with the nutrient optimizer, um, just rolling that out more and more and more lately, and just seeing when people prioritize those harder to find nutrients in their diet, they're just going, "Oh, I'm not hungry anymore, and I feel energetic, and I'm, I'm not depressed anymore." And it's just really cool to see what happens when people try to 
fill their diet with the micronutrients that they that that, that they need from their diet. Um, yeah, I suppose it goes into that clean eating anti if it fits your macros thing. But I think there's a real um, major factor there, especially with with older people who may have some nutrient deficiencies or have been eating a really poor diet for a very long time. Um, once they get those harder to find nutrients, the cravings seem to shut down. And at the same time, foods that have a very high nutrient density tend to be uh, higher protein, higher fiber, you know, the, the whole satiety index quantification and nutrient density quantification very much align with each other. So they sort of confirm each other. So once you're, um, emphasize and prioritize either or both together you get a very satiating diet that's incredibly hard to overeat and uh you know you get to a point where um you probably need to increase your energy density because you're losing so much weight in the long term but uh, in the short term it's just a an amazing hack to to lose weight without hunger yeah and, and i guess it is also convenient that the foods that tend to be really nutrient dense i mean there are exceptions of course but the foods that have a really good profile of macro macronutrients are also are scoring pretty highly on the satiety index generally right yeah definitely 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 it's it's those um those green veggies and and uh, the uh the offal and the uh the the the, the seafood um lobster and the likes that are just incredibly nutrient dense and satiating at the time at the same time and and i've got this chart of satiety versus nutrient density on the bottom left corner it's all the you know hyper palatable grain plus uh, vegetable oil products that dominate our food system these days that are both nutrient poor and have a very poor satiety score as well so you know if you want to improve your diet just cut those out and uh i basically say you know treat anything that's uh that has any starch plus vegetable oil listed on the label you know treat it as a, a recreational drug and uh, you'll you'll improve your diet markedly overnight Right. Yeah, actually, um, just to backtrack on something you mentioned before. So let's let's talk about protein just for a second. So uh, we I think many people that will listen to this will be familiar with the concept that protein seems to be more satiating up to a point than carbs or fats. And then maybe more recently, some people are familiar with protein leverage theory. So um, so yeah, like what have you found in terms of protein intake? Like have you found a sweet spot? Like there is a, an amount that we should get in and beyond that, it seems to be no, no longer more satiating. What is your experience here? Uh, yeah, the, the satiety analysis stuff sort of indicates that 35, 40, 45%, like most people can't eat beyond that, but it, it does start to plateau out a little bit at that point. But um, you know, that's really high compared to what most people eat. I think the average is around 13 to 16%. So most people are, are very, very long way from, from that. And I suppose if you push your protein super high, if you're just living on protein powders, your nutrient density isn't going to be fantastic. But um, if you're prioritizing protein from whole food, you're going to be in a pretty good position. And then if you're, you know, throwing some non-starchy veggies for your, for your uh, electrolytes, which tend to be more contained in those, in those plant-based foods or the seafood then you're going to be in a, a good position um, i know some other people say i know men sort of focuses on you know protein is only satiating to a point but uh yeah the satiety 
analysis um, of, of all that data indicates that it, it basically continues uh, to a fairly high level. Yeah. The only, the only thing I found with super high, so uh, some people may know that I did a carnivore diet experiment about a year ago and I stayed on it in total for like maybe two months. And what I found is really, really high protein intakes are a really good way of basically never feeling hungry, but also a good way to feel like death at certain points. Like I, I sort of got to the point where I was like not hungry, but just like almost like I ran out of energy, literally. And pretty much no matter how much extra protein I ate, I, I just still had trouble getting up from one couch and sitting down to the other couch, literally. And, and what's, what's also interesting <laughs> is that mentally, e I just... Even with adequate fat? Uh, that's the thing. So at that time, I was trying to cut still, and I was trying to keep my fat lower and my protein higher. So that, that is the thing. Like, um, I think low carb, like very low carb, higher protein, higher fat diets can work, but they tend to work best when you're not trying to cut, and especially not cut aggressively, because then, then you can sort of eat fats more liberally. And then you actually get to that point where you're feeling really satiated and you almost lose interest in foods, especially because these diets, uh, like a carnivore diet tends to be more like not not really bland but more like monotonous in in terms of monotonous in terms of taste profile you definitely get a, a sensory specific satiety kicking in i suppose that i think what you're going to find there is that the protein is just really hard to convert to to energy you can go through gluconeogenesis to convert your protein to glucose uh, to ATP, but it's really labor intensive. You lose 25% of that energy from protein in, in that conversion and your body just says, wow, dude, I, I don't want to keep doing that. And that's why it's so satiating because your body only needs so much protein. And once you hit that protein ceiling, it just goes, wow, I'm, I'm, if, if that's really going to give me to eat, I don't want any more of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, and also, there is some evidence that protein actually interact or food in general interacts with some of the chemicals in our brains that are responsible for mood regulation. And I like uh, some people anecdotally reported and I can relate to this that really high protein intakes can kind of make you feel lethargic. For some people, it can make them more motivated and more anxious. Sometimes I just found that I, it just made me sort of sucked out emotions <laughs> from my brain. Like I, I remember these times when I was with my girlfriend and I just felt like just just couldn't relate to her emotionally. And then it was like, what what the hell is wrong with me? It was it was so strange. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've done in and done some analysis of uh, the carnivore diet and Sean Baker's diet and looked at the nutrient profile. And I think it works really well for a lot of people who have got really messed up gut and autoimmune condition it's basically the ultimate elimination diet but whether it's the optimal most nutrient dense diet for everybody i'm i'm not sure i think that's sort of a somewhere on the spectrum between fully plant-based and fully animal-based that is more optimal for most people than you know there's all different passionate views within that and, and on that spectrum but um yeah sure if, if it works for you um, but if it doesn't then try to find foods that do work for you that don't irritate your gut and yeah but if you've got massive autoimmune issues then it might be the, the, an amazing magic elimination diet that a lot of people find it to be right right so um so i would be interested in um based on based on your uh research and also based on personal experience like if you could i mean it's cool that you mentioned on your website that you don't necessarily have to follow any type of specific diet to have a really nutrient-dense diet. So whether you're following a vegan diet or carnivore diet or whatever it may be, 
you can tweak it to be a lot more healthful. But if you could give like a baseline diet to someone, if someone came to you, it's like, hey, what should I eat? Uh, like, what what would you say? Like, if like whatever top X amount of foods uh, that you should have in your diet or types of foods, what would you say? Yeah, I was, um, yeah, I, I, we say your uh, your your diet doesn't really need a name. It doesn't need to be called keto or vegan or whatever. If you're prioritizing nutrient density, you don't need it to have a an identity and a name. You could just move on to optimizing it. But um, uh, you, you need adequate protein, and you're going to need um, some minerals. Um, which you can get from the green leafy vegetables or, or seafood as well, in addition to the the the, the beef. Um, beef is a great source of protein, but it, it you know it's a favorite of a lot of people, but it doesn't always add um, a full spectrum of nutrient density. And most people aren't eating the the liver and the connective tissue. Um, I mean, seafood is amazing. I eat a lot of mackerel or sardines. Um, eggs are incredible um, from a, a, a plant kingdom point of view. You've got the um, uh, spinach and mushrooms and, and uh, a whole variety of, of nutrient dense green veggies. I think you can take that too far. You've you know you can I don't think we're meant to live on spinach alone or, 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 or spinach uh, shapes blended up, but um, it's just a nice variety of all those different foods will give you a a good nutrient profile it's interesting to see when you do the analysis of people's diets from different angles and different ends of the plant-based versus animal-based you know you see the recommended foods tend to bring them back towards that balance and some people have got a, a very short list of animal foods recommended to them while they've got this massive list of vegetables that they can prioritize so it depends on what your current context is as to what uh, foods contain the nutrients you're currently not getting so it's it's always very um, contextually dependent um, but the things you, you need to eliminate are basically those you know starch plus vegetable oil foods that are flavored and colored to look like they contain nutrients but they don't absolutely um I'm, I'm interested uh, since you mentioned that you were on a muscle building phase uh, recently i'm curious what you found to be good food choices for yourself during that time whether you had any kind of trial and error period in the beginning when you were like trying to eat more calorie dense foods maybe and it was like okay this is a little bit too calorie dense a bit too tasty for my own good if you had anything like that uh, so yeah i'm curious how that went yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I so identify with your journey and listening to it and you said you know with bulking you just need to allow yourself to eat because your body after all that volume just goes give me food now so i was you know, giving myself leeway to to reach for the the peanut butter and the yogurts and all this sort of uh energy dense maybe even the honey or whatever just to get the calories in to recover from high volume training um and my body just you know was really screaming out for that energy dense food um the the, the protein shakes the protein powder um uh, and, and because you're getting so much uh, calories in, it doesn't have to be as nutrient dense. So you're just getting a whole lot of total quantity of nutrients because it, you, your diet has, doesn't have to be as nutrient dense because you're getting so much total energy in. But if you're trying to diet down, that's where it becomes much more important to prioritize the nutrient density, both for satiety and to make sure you're getting enough nutrients. And, you know, Lyle McDonald talks about with the protein sparing modified fast, there's um, previous versions of the protein sparing modified fast where 
people actually died because they didn't get enough nutrients into their diet on a calorie deficit if if the fake foods are involved yeah yeah that's crazy um i'm, I'm interested to hear about your nutrient uh, density challenge uh what what is that about and what what sort of results have you seen so far there yeah, yeah, we uh, we did a a challenge to launch the nutrient optimizer, which is a, like a tool that helps you dial in your macros and micros, and helps you with a, a whole range of habits as well. Um, we, we did a challenge in January to launch it, um, starting second of January, and uh, that focused on nutrient density as the backbone. But uh, we had cash prizes for weight loss and blood sugar improvement because you know. Diabetes is a, a, a bit of a special passion of mine. Um, yeah, it was really nice to see, as I said before, people as they prioritize nutrient density, they, they thought, oh, I want to lose weight, and they all got enchanted by chasing green in chronometer and uh, and increasing their micronutrient density, and then went, I'm not hungry, I feel good, and I'm, oh, yeah, look, I'm losing weight, and you, you saw the ketones come up and then drop back down to, to baseline and sort of went away, so ketones were not a big deal at all, and their blood sugars dropped nice and quickly and, and you know a lot of them lost a lot of weight really quickly the average weight loss was um what 0.75 percent per week or five percent on average some uh, the, the winner lost 18 percent in six weeks which was quite incredible um but uh yeah and we've got another one coming up starting uh the 22nd of of april so in a week uh to to just focus on nutrient density because we said hey a lot of things happen when people just say I'm going to maximize the nutrient density of my diet, um, all those you know good things with energy levels and weight loss seem to follow behind that. So we figured, hey, we'll just get people, train them up um, to prioritize nutrient density. We've put a lot of work into developing both the optimizer, which is a tool that plugs into chronometer that tells you what you need to eat and helps you dial in your macros if you're tracking. Um, but we've also got a, a a six-part boot camp manual that sort of guides you through the process of you know tracking your baseline diet and then um, adding in new foods and meals and then planning ahead and then tracking that final week which will sort of be a competition and then hopefully from there once you've got that training in board then you you'll, you'll be much more in tune with your intuitive eating and I suppose that's a passion of mine that I, I don't want to be myself be tracking everything and trying to micromanage calories for the rest of my life i want to be you know eating foods that i know will help me reach my goals that i know are nutritious and will be satiating when i need them to be and i can manipulate that when i need to be bulking and, and whatever so yeah that that goes from 22nd of april to the 19th of may four weeks that will sort of guide people through to help them to optimize the nutrient density of their diet and then lots of other things will probably happen along with that so we've got about 250 people signed up for that um, and we had about 950 sign up for the last one that will probably come through a lot of those have come through as well so yeah it's looking really good that is awesome and actually what i like about this whole approach is that and this is actually something i also emphasize in in my autoregulatory eating course is that like whenever possible think about adding things to your diet as opposed to subtracting things and it seems like a minor difference like okay i'm going to focus on optimizing the nutrients per calorie in my diet it seems like a minor difference but it really influences how your outlook is about your entire diet because when you're thinking about okay i need to eat less i need to take out this take out that 
it really puts you into this scarcity mindset. And uh, it's, it's a completely different experience when you're thinking about, okay, how can I improve this thing by adding more things to it? And it accomplishes the same goal, but the experience you will have along the journey is completely different. So I really like this approach. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I w- food shouldn't be about guilt and deprivation. Food should be good and a celebration. We want to say, you know, let's focus on optimal foods and foods that are going to help you reach your goal, not, you know, always being guilty and go, oh, I feel cravings. And, you know, you feel cravings, you feel like binging because you're not giving your body what it actually needs. And if you prioritize giving your body what it actually needs, then you won't have those cravings and binge episodes. And, uh, you know, it's just a, we need to turn the dietary world around into focusing on, hey, let's give your body what it actually needs rather than always going, oh, if you just count calories, if you just, you know, limit calories. Yeah, if you can limit calories forever, then you'll you'll lose weight but will you feel good will you have good body composition will you you know not be depressed um you know if if you get the nutrients you need in your diet then so many other good things happen awesome cool so marty is there something i definitely should have asked you and i didn't <laughs> oh it's been a really fun chat man i've i've really enjoyed everything you're doing and i uh, definitely think we're on on the same track and i hope um we can continue to work together to help people to, uh, you know, have a sustainable, healthy, vibrant life. Um, yeah, over the long term, not just a short term deprivation diet. Awesome. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. So everybody, if you're interested in optimizing your nutrient, uh, the nutrient density of your diet and managing your nutrition without counting calories and just uh, thinking about depri- or how you can reduce certain elements of your diet and how you can take out things and definitely check out optimizingnutrition.com and the nutrient optimizer of Marty. You can also check out my auto-regulatory eating course, of course. <laughs> um, Which is very good. I enjoyed it. Thank you oh, very thanks. much. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I really appreciate you saying that. It's good stuff. Yeah. And um so yeah, everybody give these things a look. And yeah, Marty, where, I mean, I just mentioned your resources, but any other place where people can find you? Uh, yeah, of um, yeah, a bunch of Facebook groups. So if you look for Nutrient Optimizer or Optimizing Nutrition, uh, great communities of, of people there on Facebook. And uh, it's really been exciting to, to develop this hive mind of, of friends and community that are all sort of on that same journey to help people because, uh, you know, you can... We all have this massive amount of knowledge and theory, but it's, you know, working with each other to uh, continue to support each other is, is where it's really at and, and to bring, bridge that um, knowledge action gap to help people to actually put it into practice every day. And, uh, yeah, the, the really exciting places online and I think exciting pl- things happening in the, in the future in the nutrition community through what is happening online. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So thanks for, for mentioning that. I forgot about the Facebook group. Yeah, you have a cool community there. So yeah, definitely check that out, everyone. So yeah, Marty, thank you so much for being on. It was a pleasure talking to you. Definitely. Real, really fun. Thank you.